0: We can make it, we just can't make it, we just can't
1: make it.
2: Welcome to the Bobby Eden Show, where we tell our stories our way. We're here every Monday, Wednesday, 6 p.m., and Saturdays, like, to, like today, uh, we're here from 12 to uh, 2 p.m., and today's guest coming up at 1 o'clock will be Phil Armstrong of the Centennial Commission, along with Greenwood Rising, so he's going to be in here at 1 o'clock, so, tune in, you know, tune in, tune in meanwhile, I'm getting ready to uh it's the Martin Luther King weekend, you know, so we celebrate dr King's birthday, and I'm going to play some uh some speeches and things there for you, so you can listen, tell a family member, tell a friend, go get your children, and have them sit down and maybe listen to some of these speeches that uh Dr. King did uh during his lifetime here uh, for us here in the U.S. So we're going to do that. So the number you can dial in if you want to ask some questions or something like that is 918-856-3873. Again, that number is 918-856-3873. Here uh, at uh, Eat Media Services, KBOB 89.9 FM, KBOB. 899.com for those of you who are not in a local uh, listening area. That's the way you can always uh, listen to us right here on the radio. Uh, We're more than just a radio station. We're a community radio station and we get involved with the community. We do things. We give away backpacks to children, uh, school supplies. Uh, We got a community garden coming up. And we raise money and stuff for youth. So we're in the process of uh, raising money for our um, juice radio show. And uh, we're trying to get a van, you know. So you can uh, come by and donate if you'd like to. 1533 North Norfolk, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Again, 1533 North Norfolk. Or you can cash up us at uh, Eaton Media Services. Just type in Eaton Media Services for a cash donation. Sure enough, helps us out over here at the radio station. It helps us do a lot of things, you know, because you guys know it takes money to function. All right. This is Martin Luther King talking about the other America. Let's see, so they're getting ready to uh, get him up there to speak. Looks like he's at a all white audience. I don't know where the sound is at. We're gonna see
1: name here, Mr. Bell members of the faculty and members of the student body of this great institution of learning, ladies and gentlemen. Now, there are several things that uh, one could talk about before such a large, uh, concerned, and enlightened audience. There are so many problems facing our nation and our world that one could just take off anywhere. But today I would like to talk mainly about the race problem, since I'll have to rush right out and go to New York to talk about Vietnam tomorrow, and I've been talking about it a great deal uh, this week and weeks before that. I'd like to use as a subject from which to speak this afternoon the other America. And I use this subject because there are literally two Americas. One America is beautiful for a situation. And in a sense, this America is overflowing with the milk of prosperity and the honey of opportunity. This America is the habitat of millions of people who have food and material necessities for their bodies, and culture and education for their minds, freedom and human dignity for their spirits. In this America, millions of people experience every day the opportunity of having life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in all of their dimensions. And in this America, millions of young people grow up in the sunlight of opportunity. But tragically and unfortunately, there is another America. This other America has a daily ugliness about it that constantly transforms the buoyancy of hope into the fatigue of despair. In this America, millions of work-starved men walk the streets daily in search for jobs that do not exist. In this America, millions of people find themselves living in rat-infested, vermin-filled slums. In this America, people are poor by the millions. They find themselves perishing on a lonely island of poverty, in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. In a sense, the greatest tragedy of this other America is what it does to little children. Little children in this other America are forced to grow up with clouds of inferiority forming every day in their little mental sky. As we look at this other America, we see it as an arena of blasted hopes and shattered dreams. Many people of various backgrounds live in this other America. uh, America. Some are Mexican-Americans, some are Puerto Ricans, some are Indians. Some uh, happen to be from other groups. Millions of them are Appalachian whites. Probably the largest group in this other America, in proportion to its size in the population, is the American Negro. The American Negro finds himself living in a triple ghetto, a ghetto of race, a ghetto of poverty, a ghetto... is to deal with this problem, to deal with this problem of the two Americas, We are seeking to make America one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now let me say that the struggle for civil rights and the struggle to make these two Americas one America is much more difficult today than it was five or ten years ago for about a decade or maybe 12 years. We struggled all across the South in glorious struggle to get rid of legal, overt segregation and all of the humiliation that surrounded that system of segregation. In a sense, this was a struggle for decency. We could not go to a lunch counter in so many instances and get a hamburger or a cup of coffee. We could not make use of public accommodations. Public transportation was segregated. Often we had to sit in the back and within transportation, uh, transportation within cities, we often had to stand over empty seats because sections were reserved for whites only. We did not have the right to vote in so many areas of the South. The struggle was to deal with these problems. Now, certainly they were difficult problems. They were humiliating conditions. By the thousands we protested these conditions, we made it clear that it was ultimately more honorable to accept jail cell experiences than to accept segregation and humiliation. Five thousand students and adults decided to sit in at segregated lunch counters to protest conditions there. When they were sitting at those lunch counters, they were in reality standing up for the best in the American dream seeking to take the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy, which were dug deep by the Founding Fathers in the formulation of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Many things were gained as a result of these years of struggle. In 1964, the Civil Rights Bill came into being, After the Birmingham movement, which did a great deal to subpoena the conscience of a large segment of the nation to appear before the judgment seat of morality on the whole question of civil rights. After the Selma movement in 1965, we were able to get a voting rights bill. All of these things represented stride. But we must see that the struggle today is much more difficult. It's more difficult today because we are struggling now for genuine equality. It's much easier to integrate a lunch counter than it is to guarantee a livable income and a good, solid job. It's much easier to guarantee the right to vote than it is to guarantee the right to live in sanitary, decent housing conditions. It is much easier to integrate a public park than it is to make genuine quality integrated education a reality. And so today we are struggling for something which says we demand genuine quality not merely a struggle against extremist behavior toward Negroes. And I'm convinced that many of the very people who supported us in the struggle in the South are not willing to go all the way now. I came to see this in a very difficult and painful way in Chicago over the last year where I've lived and worked. Some of the people who came quickly to march with us in Selma and Birmingham were active around Chicago, and I came to see that so many people who supported morally and even financially what we were doing in Birmingham and Selma were really outraged against the extremist behavior of Bull Connor and Jim Clark toward Negroes rather than believing in genuine equality for Negroes. And I think this is what we've got to see now, and this is what makes the struggle much more difficult. So as a result of all of this, we see many problems existing today that are growing more difficult. It's something that is often overlooked, but Negroes generally live in worse slums today than 20 or 25 years ago. In the North, schools are more segregated today than they were in 1954 when the Supreme Court's decision on desegregation was rendered. Economically, the Negro is worse off today than he was 15 and 20 years ago. And so the unemployment rate among whites at one time was about the same as the unemployment rate among Negroes. But today the unemployment rate among Negroes is twice that of whites. And the average income of the Negro is today 50% less than whites. As we look at these problems, we see them growing and developing Every day, we see the fact that the Negro economically is facing a depression in his everyday life that is more staggering than the depression of the 30s. The unemployment rate the nation as a whole is about 4%. Statistics would say from the Labor Department that among Negroes it's about 8.4%. But these are the persons who are in the labor market, who still go to employment agencies to seek jobs, and so they can be calculated. The statistics can be gotten because they are still somehow in the labor market. But there are hundreds of thousands of Negroes who have given up. They've lost hope. They've come to feel that life is a long and desolate corridor for them with no exit signs. And so they no longer go to look for a job. There are those who would estimate that these persons who are called the discouraged persons would be 6 or 7% in the Negro community. And that means that unemployment among Negroes may well be 16%. Among Negro youth in some of our large urban areas, it goes to 30 and 40%. And so you can see what I mean when I say that in the Negro community, that is a major, tragic, and staggering depression that we face in our everyday lives. Now, the other thing that we've got to come to see now that many of us didn't see too well during the last 10 years, that is that racism is still alive in American society and much more widespread than we realize. We must see racism for what it is. It is the myth of the superior and the inferior race. It is the false and tragic notion that one particular group, one particular race, is responsible for all of the progress, all of the insight and the total flow of history and the theory that another group or another race is totally depraved, innately impure, and innately inferior. In the final analysis, racism is evil because its ultimate logic is genocide. Hitler was a sick and tragic man who carried racism to its logical conclusion. He ended up leading a nation to the point of killing about six million Jews. This is the tragedy of racism because its ultimate logic is genocide. If one says that I'm not good enough to live next door to him, one says that I am not good enough to eat at a lunch counter, but to have a good, decent job or to go to school with him merely because of my race. He is saying consciously or unconsciously that I do not deserve to exist. To use a philosophical analogy here, racism is not based on some empirical generalization. It is based rather on an ontological affirmation. It is not the assertion that certain people are behind culturally or otherwise, because of environmental conditions. It is the affirmation that the very being of a people is inferior. This is the great tragedy of it. I say that however unpleasant it is, we must honestly see and admit that racism is still deeply rooted all over America, still deeply rooted in the north, still deeply rooted in the south. Now this leads me to say something about another discussion that we hear a great deal, and that is the so-called white backlash. I would like to honestly say to you that the white backlash is merely a new name for an old phenomenon, not something that just came into being because shouts of shouts of black power or because Negroes engaged in riots in Watts, for instance. The fact is that the state of California voted a fair housing bill out of existence before anybody shouted black power or before anybody rioted in Watts. It may well be that shouts of black power and riots in Watts and the hollums and the other areas are the consequences of the white backlash rather than the cause of them. What it is necessary to see is that there has never been a single, solid, monistic, determined commitment on the part of the vast majority of white Americans. The whole question of civil rights and on the whole question of racial equality. This is something that truth impels all men of goodwill, to admit, it is said on the Statue of Liberty, that America is the home of exiles. It doesn't take us long to realize that America has been the home of its white exiles from Europe. It has not evinced the same kind of maternal care and concern for its black exiles from Africa. It is no wonder that in one of his sorrow songs, a Negro could sing out, Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. What great estrangement, what great sense of rejection caused the people to emerge with such a metaphor as they looked over their lives. What I'm trying to get across is that our nation has constantly taken a positive step forward on the question of racial justice and racial equality, but over and over again, at the same time, it made certain backward steps. And this has been the persistence of the so-called white backlash. In 1863, the Negro was freed from the bondage of physical slavery, but at the same time, the nation refused to give him land to make that freedom meaningful. And at that same period, America was giving millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that America was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor that would make it possible to grow and develop. We refused to give that economic floor to its black peasant, so to speak. This is why Frederick Douglass could say that emancipation for the Negro was freedom to hunger, freedom to the winds and rains of heaven, freedom without roofs to cover their heads. He went on to say that it was freedom without bread to eat, freedom without land to cultivate, It was freedom and famine at the same time. But it does not stop there. In 1875, the nation passed a Civil Rights Bill, refused to enforce it. In 1964, the nation passed a weaker Civil Rights Bill, and even to this day, that bill has not been totally enforced in all of its dimensions. The nation heralded a new day of concern for the poor, for the poverty-stricken, for the disadvantaged, and brought into being a poverty bill. But at the same time, it put such little money into the program that it was hardly and still remains hardly a good skirmish against poverty. White politicians in suburbs talk eloquently against open houses, and in the same breath, contend that they are not racist. Now, all of this and all of these things tell us that America has been backlashing on the whole question of basic constitutional and God-given rights for Negroes and other disadvantaged groups for more than 300 years. So these conditions... Persistence of widespread poverty, of slums, and of tragic conditions in schools and other areas of life. All of these things have brought about a great deal of despair, and a great deal of desperation, a great deal of disappointment, and even bitterness in the Negro communities. Today, all of our cities confront huge problems, All of our cities are potentially powder kegs as a result of the continued existence of these conditions. Many in moments of anger, many in moments of deep bitterness, engage in riots. Let me say, as I've always said, I will always continue to say, that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that non-violence is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and justice. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than they will solve. That in a real sense, it is impractical for the Negro to even think of mounting a violent revolution in the United States. So I will continue to condemn riots and continue to say to my brothers and sisters that this is not the way. Continue to affirm that there is another way. But at the same time, it is as necessary for me to be as vigorous in condemning the conditions which cause persons to feel that they must engage in riotous activities as it is for me to condemn riots. I think America must see that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. In the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. What is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last few years. It has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. It has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. And so in a real sense, our nation's summers of riots are caused by our nation's winters of delay. And as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. Now, let me go on to say that if we are to deal with all of the problems that I've talked about, that we are to bring America to the point that we have one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, There are certain things that we must do. The job ahead must be massive and positive. We must develop massive action programs all over the United States of America in order to deal with the problems that I have mentioned. Now, in order to develop these massive action programs, we've got to get rid of one or two false notions that continue to exist in our society. One is the notion that only time can solve the problem of racial injustice. I'm sure you've heard this idea. It is the notion almost that it's something in Devera the very flow of time that will miraculously cure all evils. And I've heard this over and over again. There are those, and they often sincere people, who say to Negroes and their allies in the white community that we should slow up and just be nice and patient and continue to pray. And in a hundred or two hundred years, the problem will work itself out because only time can solve the problem. I think that is an answer to that myth. And it is that time is neutral. It can be used either constructively or destructively. And I'm absolutely convinced that the forces of ill will in our nation, the extreme righteous in our nation, have often used time much more effectively than the forces of goodwill. It may well be that we will have to repent in this generation not merely for the vitriolic words of the bad people and the violent actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence and indifference of the good people who sit around and say, wait on time. Somewhere we must come to see that social progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. Comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of dedicated individuals. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the primitive forces of social stagnation. And so we must help time, and we must realize that the time is always right to do right. Now, there's another notion that gets out, it's around everywhere. It's in the South, it's in the North, it's in California and all over our nation. It's a notion that legislation can't solve the problem, it can't do anything in this area. And Those who project this argument contend that you've got to change the heart and that you can't change the heart through legislation. Now, I would be the first one to say that there is real need for a lot of heart changing in our country. And uh, I believe in changing the heart. I preach about it. I believe in the need for conversion in many instances and in regeneration, to use theological terms. And I would be the first to say that if the race problem in America is to be solved, the white person must treat the Negro right Not merely because the law says it, but because it's natural, because it's right, and because the Negro is his brother. So I realize that if we are to have a truly integrated society, men and women will have to rise to the majestic heights of being obedient to the unenforceable. But after saying this, let me say Another thing which gives the other side, and that is that although it may be true that
3: morality
1: cannot be legislated, behavior can be regulated. Even though it may be true that the law cannot change the heart, it can restrain the heartless. Even though it may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, it can restrain him from lynching me, and I think that's pretty important also. So while the law may not change the hearts of men, it can and it does change the habits of men. When you begin to change the habits of men, pretty soon the attitudes will be changed, pretty soon the hearts will be changed. I'm convinced that we still need strong, civil rights legislation. There's a bill before Congress right now to have a national, federal open housing bill. Federal law declaring discrimination in housing unconstitutional. And also a bill to make the administration of justice real all over our country. Now, nobody can doubt the need for this. Nobody can doubt the need if he thinks about the fact that since 1963, some 50 Negroes and white civil rights workers have been brutally murdered in the state of Mississippi alone. Not a single person has been convicted for these dastardly crimes. There have been some indictments, but no one has been convicted. So there is a need for the whole question of the administration of justice. There is a need for our fair housing laws all over our country. It is tragic indeed that Congress last year allowed this bill to die. That bill died in Congress, a bit of democracy died, a bit of our commitment to justice died. If it happens again in this section, session of Congress, greater degree of our commitment to democratic principles will die. I can see no more dangerous trend in our country than the constant developing of predominantly Negro central cities ringed by white suburbs. This is only inviting social disaster. The only way this problem will be solved is by the nation taking a strong stand, and by state governments taking a strong stand against housing, segregation, and against discrimination in all of these areas. Now, there's another thing that I'd like to mention as I talk about the Massive Action Program, and time will not permit me to go into specific programmatic action to any great degree. But it must be realized now that the Negro cannot solve the problem by himself. There again, there are those who always say to the Negroes, why don't you do something for yourself? Why don't you lift yourselves by your own bootstraps?" And we hear this over and over again. Now certainly, there are many things that we must do for ourselves and that only we can do for ourselves. Certainly, we must develop within a sense of dignity and self-respect that nobody else can give us, a sense of manhood, a sense of personhood, a sense of not being ashamed of our heritage, not being ashamed of our color. It was wrong and tragic that the Negro ever allowed himself to be ashamed of the fact that he was black or ashamed of the fact that his home, ancestral home, was African. And so there's a great deal that the Negro can do to develop self-respect, There's a great deal that the Negro must do and can do to amass political and economic power within his own community and by using his own resources. So we must do certain things for ourselves, but this must not negate the fact and cause the nation to overlook the fact that the Negro cannot solve the problem himself. Man was on the plane me some weeks ago, and he came, and talked to me and he said, the problem, Dr. King, that I see with what you all are doing is that every time I see you and other Negroes you are protesting, you, are not, you aren't doing anything before yourself. He went on to tell me that he was very poor at one time and he was able to make it by doing something for himself. Why don't you teach your people, he said. Lived themselves by their own bootstraps. And then he went on to say other groups uh, faced disadvantages, the Irish, the Italians, and he went down the line. I said to him that it does not help the Negro, it only deepens his frustration Unfeeling, feeling insensitive people to say to him that other ethnic groups who migrated or were immigrants to this country That's a hundred years ago or so, have gotten beyond him, and he came here some 344 years ago. I went on to remind him, the Negro came to this country involuntarily in chains, while others came voluntarily. I went on to remind him that no other racial group has been a slave on American soil. I went on to remind him that the other problem that we have faced over the years is that the society placed the stigma on the, the color of the Negro, on the color of his skin, because he was black. Doors were closed to him that were not closed to other groups. And I'm to say to people that you ought to lift yourself by your own bootstraps, but it is a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. Fact is, the millions of Negroes, as a result of centuries of denial and neglect, have been left bootless. They find themselves impoverished aliens in this affluent society. And that is a great deal that the society can and must do if the Negro is to gain the economic security that he needs. Now, one of the answers, it seems to me, is a guaranteed uh, annual income, a guaranteed minimum income for all people and for all families of our country. It seems to
0: me.
1: It seems to me that the civil rights movement must now begin to organize for. The guaranteed annual income began to organize people all over our country and mobilize forces so that we can bring to the attention of our nation this need and this something which I believe will go a long, long way toward dealing with the Negro's economic problem and the economic problem with many other poor people confronting our nation. Now. I said I wasn't going to talk about Vietnam, but I can't make a speech without mentioning some of the problems that we face there, because... Because I think this war has diverted attention from civil rights. It has strengthened the forces of reaction in our country and has brought to the forefront the military industrial complex that even President Eisenhower warned us against at one time. Above all, it is destroying human lives, destroying the lives of thousands of the young, promising men of our nation, destroying the lives of little boys and little girls in Vietnam. But one of the greatest things that this war is doing to us in civil rights is that it is allowing the great society to be shot down on the battlefields of Vietnam every day. Now I submit this afternoon that we can end poverty in the United States. Our nation has the resources to do it. National gross product of America will rise to the astounding figure some $800 this year. We have the resources. The question is, whether the nation has the will And I submit that if we can spend $5 billion a year to fight an ill-considered war in Vietnam and $20 billion to put a man on the moon, our nation can spend billions of dollars and on their own two feet right here on Earth. Let me say another thing that's more in the realm of the spirit, I guess. That is, if we are to go on in the days ahead and make true brotherhood a reality, it is necessary for us to realize more than ever before that the destinies of the Negro and the white man are tied together. Now, there are still a lot of people who don't realize this. The racists still don't realize this. But it is a fact now that Negroes and whites are tied together, and we need each other. The Negro needs the white man to save him from his fear. The white man needs the Negro to save him from his guilt. We are tied together in so many ways, our language, our music, our cultural patterns, our material prosperity, and even our food are an amalgam of black and white, so there can be no separate black path to power and fulfillment that does not intersect white roots. There can be no separate White path to power and fulfillment short of social disaster does not recognize the need of sharing that power with black aspirations for freedom and justice. We must come to see now that integration is not merely a romantic or aesthetic something where you merely add color to a still predominantly white power structure. Integration must be seen also on political terms where there is shared power where black men and white men share power together to build a new and a great nation. In a real sense, we're all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. John Donne placed it years ago in graphic terms, no man is an island in private health. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. He goes on toward the end to say, "Any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind, therefore never sin to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee." And so we all, in the same situation, the salvation of the Negro will mean the salvation of the white man and the destruction, the life of the ongoing progress of the Negro, to be the destruction of the ongoing progress of the nation. Now let me say finally that we have difficult days ahead, but I haven't despaired. Somehow I maintain hope in spite of hope, and I've talked about the difficulties and how hard the problems would be as we tackle them. But I want to close by saying this afternoon that I still have faith in the future. And I still believe that these problems can be solved. So I will not join anyone who will say that we still can't develop a coalition of conscience. I realize and understand the discontent and the agony and the disappointment and even the bitterness of those who feel that whites in America cannot be trusted. And I would be the first to say that there are all too many who are still guided by the racist ethos. But I am still convinced that there are still many white persons of goodwill, and I'm happy to say that I see them every day in the student generation who cherish democratic principles and justice above principles, and who will stick with the cause of justice and the cause of civil rights and the cause of peace throughout the days ahead. And so I refuse to despair. I think we're going to achieve our freedom because, however, much America strays away from the ideals of justice, The goal of America is freedom. Used and scorned though we may be, our destiny is tied up in the destiny of America. Before the Pilgrim Fathers landed at Plymouth, we were here. Before Jefferson etched across the pages of history the majestic words of the Declaration of Independence, we were here. Before the beautiful words of the Star-Spangled Banner were written, we were here. For more than two centuries, our forebears labored here without wages. They made cotton chains. They built the homes of their masters in the midst of the most humiliating and oppressive conditions. Yet out of a bottomless vitality, they continued to grow and develop. I say that if the inexpressible cruelties of slavery couldn't stop us, the opposition that we now face including the so-called white backlash, will surely fail. We're going to win our freedom because both the sacred of uh, our nation and the eternal will of the Almighty God are embodied in our echoing demand. And so I can still sing, We Shall Overcome. We shall overcome because the heart of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. We shall overcome because Carlyle is right. No lie can live forever. We shall overcome because William Cullen Bryant is right. Truth, Christ, earth will rise again. We shall overcome because James Russell Lowell is right. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. With faith, we will be able to hew out of the mounting of despair, a stone of hope, of this faith we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to speed up the day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and live together as brothers and sisters all over this great nation that will be a great day. That will be a great tomorrow. In the words, should speak symbolically, that will be the day when the morning stars will sing together and the sons of God will shout for joy. Thank you.
2: You've been listening to Dr. Martin Luther King's speech entitled uh, The Other America at Stanford University. As I see our all white audience in which he gave his speech to, such empowerment and uh, everything going on over there. That was 1967. Throughout this weekend, as we celebrate Dr. King's birthday, we'll be playing some inserts and some uh, videos and things of his speech. So uh, get your children together. Get your family members together. And let's honor uh, Dr. King in a way that uh, he needs to be honored. You know, he was one one iconic man in our country and we want to just honor him. Uh, As we move forward, we're waiting for um, Phil Armstrong going to be here one o'clock coming up. And so he's going to be talking about what's going on with Greenwood rising uh, Greenwood centennial uh, commission and other things like that. Um, I'm going to play a little bit, a little bit of uh, the, I have a dream speech. Which most of us have heard and most of us know. So we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of that. So you're on the Bobby Eaton show where we tell our stories our way. So stick around. We'll be right back.
3: The Epic Times. Uh,
2: okay, let me get myself together here. So, all right, got it together now. All right, we'll be right back. So stick around.
4: How to order chicken wings. Number one, find a good wing spot. I know a wing spot. Max Wings. Number two, decide if you want a combo or if you want to order a la carte. Huh? What's that? Well, combos come with chicken, veggie sticks, fries, and a drink for a discounted price. A la carte means that you order each item separately. Ah. Okay. Three. Decide if you want bone-in, boneless, or cauliflower wing. And then determine the delicious flavor you want on your wings. I didn't even know cauliflower had wings. You learn something new every day. Have you been to Max Wings? Yes, yes, yep. Max yep. Wings is located at 782 East Pine Street in Tulsa. We're open Monday through Thursday from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. And on Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Come to Max Wings, home of the dry rub fry.
5: Hello, Tulsa. This is Janetta Cole with Sunday Dinner and More by Janet, your weekend soul spot. Every Saturday and Sunday from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. We're located 531 East Apache in the historic Apache Circle Center. Of course, during these times, it's carry out only, but you can call 918-951-5143. That's Sunday Dinner and More by Janet.
0: Searching
6: for ways to grow your business, or perhaps you would like to invest in Tulsa's African American community, the Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce is a great place to start.
4: North Star Security and Private Investigation provides over 35 years of experience to ensure your security and investigation needs are met. Our officers are CLEAT and state certified. If you are seeking employment, stop by our website at www.northstarsecurityandpi.com. For details on quotes and employment opportunities, call today at 918-248-6592. That's 918-248-6592. North Star Security and Private Investigation.
6: Hey, it's Denise with Addie Mae's Boo for the Soul where we cater to vegan, Presbyterian, and everyday soul-tree soul food. We have meatloaf Monday, taco Tuesday, chicken wings Wednesday, turkey and dressing Thursday, fish Fridays, barbecue Saturdays, and Sundays is our soul-tree soul food. We're located at 5266 North Peoria. You can contact us with calling orders at 918-845-2989. And we also deliver with DoorDash. Hope to see you soon.
3: If your credit starts with a 3, 4, 5, or 6, this is for you. Did you know that it's costing you to have bad credit? You can't get qualified for that house or apartment and you're paying high interest rates, along with paying high car insurance, and it may be costing you that job that you really want. What are you waiting on? Take more of a holistic approach. Pick up the phone and call the credit Shiro at 832 642
2: Yeah, that's right. If you know better, you do better. And that's what it goes on right there. All right, you're on the Bobby Eaton Show, where we tell our stories our way in the heart of Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, and uh, we got a great show coming up. Got a great person in the studio who's coming up with us. So, hey, tell a family member, tell a friend. You can dial a number. 918-856-3873 918-856-3873 if you want to talk uh, to Mr. Phil Armstrong on the Bobby Eaton Show. Okay? In the studio. Phil Armstrong, how we doing, brother?
7: Doing good, man. So glad to be here tonight. Yeah. Boy, you're a busy Eaton. man. Man, it's uh, busy isn't understood. <laughs> it really is.
2: Yeah. How have you been?
7: Uh, good. Uh, the uh, energy level um, and the I would say quite honestly um I know it's a it's a weird word to use but I'll say uh, delicately and with respect the excitement uh surrounding the awareness of the history of Greenwood um so many people of course are attracted to uh, outside of Oklahoma they're attracted to you know The events of the actual event, the massacre. Mm -hmm. But when they begin to hear the full narrative of just how prosperous um, Greenwood was, but even more so to bring them to the awareness that before you get to a Greenwood, you know, you have to discover the all black towns of Oklahoma,
2: the townships.
7: That that were. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, decades, well before, long before Greenwood came about. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Langston, uh, prominently one of those places, you know, that had, of course, now we have the United States University. But, you know, people to find out in the 1870s and 1880s that these communities had their own banks, plural, Mm -hmm. that had their own businesses, all the land, the economy in these towns are what. Actually led to a uh, uh, Greenwood becoming so prosperous. Greenwood became that place that you know what on weekends you take your money, you take your family, go up to you go to Greenwood. Right. So those towns are mm-hmm. what's really supported that that proliferation. Yeah, those of townships
2: Greenwood. like Taft and Bowley and yes. all of them. Redbird, <laughs> <Redburg>, Snake <laughs> Creek, all of those places down there. Yeah. You know, and some of them are are still active, yes. and some of them are mm-hmm. no longer active. Correct. You know, and uh, we got to retain that history. Yes, we got to be able to tell it, Mm -hmm. share with our children Mm -hmm. and family members who don't know about that. You know, and what you just said said right there, it brought about some economic development Mm -hmm. for Greenwood. Mm -hmm. You know, they moved on up on the weekends Mm -hmm. and things like that. And uh, we focus a lot on the massacre. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do, but what happened before the massacre? That economic development with all of those businesses down there, like you Sorry. said, banks and restaurants yes. and uh, night spots and all type of uh, businesses yes. down there, it was flourishing. To,
7: it was like number one in the United States. It was no, 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 and and what you know. In fact, I get to the opportunity honor to present this, you know, in various Zoom calls from companies and corporations. In fact, just. Um, the reason I was just coming through the doors, I was just presenting this to uh, a, the regional chapter of the Jack and Jill out of Baltimore, mm-hmm. the Maryland. So people are calling – just they just want to know the history. But when you talk about um, all of the, the the activity and all the people here, you know, it, it just opens up people's eyes to when we say black excellence, it's nothing new. You know, black excellence on a on a level that we've never even thought about or explored. It's not new. It's, it was here even back in the 1850s, 1670s, and it wasn't just that it was in Greenwood
8: was no, because across the country.
7: of, mm-hmm. ironically, and I say a side effect, if you will, of Jim Crow and segregation, black economies, insular African-American economies, they had to survive on each other. They had to have their own way of business and working with each other. So they became prosperous. There were prosperous communities all over the country in Arizona and Mm -hmm. Bisbee, Arizona and Lane, Arkansas, Baltimore, Rosewood. And And because of Jim Crow, it made black people spend their money with each other. It's just that because of land ownership and oil and gas – No other community of African Americans were as prosperous. No other community had this many black millionaires in one geographical location than Mm -hmm. Greenwood.
2: Yeah, and even uh, some of uh, our people had helicopters. I mean, not helicopters, but airplanes. Airplanes airplanes back in those days. I was like, wow, we had fine china. We had pianos in the home. Some had plumbing. Yes. You know, so yep. they, yep. you know, it was kind of like a situation where it's like, Phil, if you were building mm-hmm. a house, mm-hmm. we would come over and help you build your house, exactly. and and vice versa. Yeah. It was so much unity, what you say, unity in the community, mm-hmm. that we would share mm-hmm. everything, you know, and build that economic growth and wealth. People were coming to Greenwood not only from townships in Tall in Oklahoma, but from mm-hmm. all over the country.
8: All over the country were
2: starting to move yep. into the. Yep. Uh, the area and okay. stuff like that.
7: That's what brought Booker T. Washington here mm-hmm. in 1905 when he visited Oklahoma.
0: Mm-hmm. He
7: visited, it was kind of – he heard about this place. Th- this place in Oklahoma where African-Americans were flourishing, and he took time to come visit these small towns and areas. And, and he's the first to actually label the phrase, this is like a Negro Wall Street. Right. He's the first to say that in 1905. Mm-hmm. And of course, over time, that vernacular now is Black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. But it, it was Booker T. Washington that sat back and said, oh my, "Oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's like Negro Wall Street, mm-hmm. you know, because of all that was going on All in Oklahoma."
2: You know, I, I'm I'm told that a lot was so much was happening down there on Greenwood that it was like almost like <laughs> Vegas is, you know, twenty four seven. You know, things were going yeah. down yeah. down there, and all of the inner. You know, entertainers back in the day yes, the duke Ellingtons, the yes, cat callaways yes, and all of them would come through the the bb mm-hmm. kings and mm-hmm. things would come through black wall street and yes, perform sir. and uh, it was just something to see mm-hmm. yes sir it yes, was sir. something to, and since since blacks were forced mm-hmm. to do economic development amongst mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. the whites were jealous and envious
0: That's exactly what
7: happened
2: you know of happened.
7: how these black yeah. people got all this stuff mm-hmm.
2: and we don't have it like right. that right you know? So,
7: this, so, you know, we part of the education and uh, an enlightenment from for blacks and whites is that um, 1921 was not an isolated incident unto itself. There was a building up of racial animosity. For this excellent economy of black citizens that we don't need Mm -hmm. white folks. We Mm -hmm. don't need your stores. We don't need your businesses. We don't need your schools. We create our own, Um, and and Greenwood was the epitome of all that. Mm -hmm. Booker T. Washington High School, as I've learned – my wife's a Booker T. Washington graduate, and and I've learned over time, and even with researching this history, Booker T. Washington – and, of course, the first principal, O.W., uh, Ellis Walker Woods, mm-hmm. Booker T. Washington was not just, quote-unquote, a colored school of excellence for blacks. It was the prominent, superior educational system in Tulsa County. The, the, the teaching that was taking place at Booker T. Washington was superior than what white students were getting in the Tulsa public schools in general. Yeah. What They produced and the talent they produced was absolutely exceptional, which led to people learning engineering and trades and businesses that caused Booker T. Washington to be that epitome that that created these minds that went out and did phenomenal things. So, education, economics, business wise, it was just, you know, it was a place where black excellence found a place to flourish
2: yeah and uh a lot of discipline took place oh my and so much respect mm-hmm. was taken because you know back in those days they dressed up you yeah. know suit and tie <laughs> they, they go in and, the grocery store you know, and they, man they'd be clean with every <laughs> man hats and skirts and hairdos and yes. it was some pride that yes. took place amongst your all hair of, was cold man mm-hmm. you, you wasn't sloppy <laughs> you didn't even want to go out sloppy exactly you know, so there was a lot of pride in that educational process mm-hmm. there back in the day off of Greenwood, mm-hmm. you know, Booger T. Washington School, yes, sir. you know, which later moved over off of Woodrow yes, uh, later on. But the early days, yes, those teachers were phenomenal. Yes,
7: sir. Yes, just, sir. Can
2: you imagine a mm-hmm. classroom full of students mm-hmm. and just so much discipline and yeah. order yeah. inside that classroom yeah. where everybody's paying mm-hmm. attention? Mm-hmm. And they,
7: they were learning Greek they yeah. were teaching Greek. They were learning Greek. They were learning French. They were learning—I mean, these l- foreign languages. Um, uh, they were learning, you know, trigonometry and geometry and, 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 and math concepts. Oh my goodness! But that's you know when people—I think it was uh, Julius Pegues, who's a, a walking historian with 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 a lot of this history—and he mm-hmm. sat me down many times and just talked about, you know, even his remembrance of coming through Booker T. Washington. He gave me some names and him and individuals that went to uh, Tuskegee and got their engineering degree. And he said, uh, with, with, and, and it wasn't said in, in, a, in a, uh, a braggadocious way. He right. was just stating fact. He said, he said you could take Booker T. Washington graduates, he said, myself and two other individuals, and if you put us in a room with all the equipment laid out and the tools, we could build you a plane. Mm-hmm. The three of us together, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and he said that was the excellence in the education. I believe that, got, it. you know, so mm-hmm. just you know, and that was just one. And what he was saying, that's just one example.
2: One example yeah. of mm-hmm. uh, many examples mm-hmm. that took place down there yes, sir. on Greenwood, mm-hmm. you know. Now we have uh, the centennial approaching us, you know, and people are preparing. Yes, we got a lot of media that's been coming through in, in town. How do you feel about all of this mm-hmm. getting ready to take place? Mm-hmm. Think, What's your thought
7: process on it? So just like any major significant event in history, there are going to be those who um, have – they see the opportunity to tell a story, and I don't have any issue with that. The issue that I have or the, the thing that we challenge people that want to come in here is if you're using this to to make money – yeah. Or to sell, a prop, book. To, to, to sell a book, or to prop up your personal brand. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against those. For example, you know, when the one of the earliest groups that announced we're going to do a, a documentary, um, you know, LeBron James and then Russell Westbrook came yeah. out, and they I, all I, came through I, here. I, so I applaud yeah. that. You know, I applaud yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to just make sure, hey, don't. Just look at hey, this is something we can just jump on and and let's uh, let's 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 let everybody know about it. Use your fame, which they have, use your platform, simply to get the word out about this mm-hmm. and and tell the story. And I and I and anybody who just says hey, we just want to be able to tell the story to the masses, I support yeah. that. But I, you but, know,
2: I've done several in- interviews mm-hmm, over here, at mm-hmm, KBOB eighty nine point nine. They came over and I've always I always state the fact that. Monetarily, yes. You want to get all this information, but a lot Mm -hmm. of people never get compensated for the story. You know, the story that's going to enhance you doing what you do. So I let them all know that before I do what I do. You know, and because there's some seniors out here. I'm a senior, and they got some older than me that have gotten stories throughout the years. Now some of them are deceased and gone, and people have wrote books. You know, did documentaries and stuff like that using them, and those people never got taken care of, you know, and there are their families. But I understand if you tell the truth during your presentation, you must tell the truth because don't fabricate it and put some other stuff off in there, you (laughs) know. Man, that didn't happen like that, you know, blah, 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 blah. Don't make it seem like Mm -hmm. Dick Rowland and Sarah Page were married Mm -hmm. when that happened, Mm -hmm. you know, because we know that they weren't Mm -hmm. married. They may have been dating, you know, but they weren't married. Mm So that's what I kind of stress. Tell the truth about this great place Mm -hmm. for African-Americans, which then were called Negroes. Mm -hmm. It took place down there on Greenwood. Yes,
7: sir. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. The um, the push for the accuracy in the history is so vitally important. For
8: Most example, definitely.
7: in the research that, that I've been able to be a part of the last several years, things that we have said that sounded good, but then you verify, hmm, there's nothing to fine if that's accurate. For example, many people use OW Gurley, which is the father of Black Wall Street, had the first business, but there is a uh, a story that says he bought 40 acres of land. Yeah. There is no research a record record mm-hmm. that he actually bought 40 acres of land. Now, do we know that he did buy land and that he helped other African Americans opened businesses and helped lend money so that others can yes, we know that. But don't put something out there that you can't I mean, something like that, and that's a fine detail. When you do history, people they're gonna come through and say, Well, where's that at? You yeah, know, where's the 48? Where's the 48? And and, yeah. and and where do you get that information from? So that those are little things that mm-hmm. can be when you're telling the story, like you say
2: can be distorted. Can be
7: distorted. Mm-hmm. Tell the truth. If you can't verify that he bought Forty acres of land. Then don't say stuff yeah. like that. You know, just uh, say, just talk facts. Just talk facts, talk you know, facts, talk because facts. the history. That Thirty years from now, fifty years from now, when we're long gone, mm-hmm. we want people to know the history and its accuracy. You know,
2: that is so true, and we must tell the truth too. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just be, like, fabricating stuff. Right. You mm-hmm. know, and making up stuff and things like that. Black Wall Street had, they say, over they had about. Over six hundred businesses
7: down there. Do
2: mm-hmm. you think that number is mm-hmm. correct, or is it an estimate? Uh, you know,
7: I, th- I think that number is an estimate. What? So, so again, the, what we can trace and what we have factual knowledge of is the the economic, the real economic boom of Greenwood, um, which is a surprise to so many, is really after nineteen twenty one. You know, so many people come in here, they think that. Time stood still when, when 1921. They don't realize it was rebuilt bigger and better. The, the peak of the height of when the most economic activity was taking place was in the mid 1940s. And what we have from the data records that we have from that is that's when there were over 1,200 black owned homes, mm-hmm. over 200 yeah. black owned businesses, over three hospitals, Here, grocery stores. Let's back
2: up a little bit. Yeah. Phil, mm-hmm. most people think. After the massacre mm-hmm. took place, mm-hmm. it never developed and came back. Right. They just really think that mm-hmm. in their own head. Well, mm-hmm. they burn it up, blew it up, mm-hmm. and then it came then they a few people came back down there and opened up a little mm-hmm. bit of it. Mm-hmm. But it was they built it
7: better. Man, that so I'd say if I've given a hundred talks on this different groups, um that is probably the second most eyebrow-raising. You can actually see them on Zoom calls. Their eyes go up like – What? They, they rebuilt it. Mm-hmm. you know. And then when you say – and they did it with uh, – because it was labeled a riot. Right. They, they couldn't get their remuneration exactly. from their insurance claims, business claims. They couldn't get remuneration from the city or state or t- the toss police department, uh, and they were complicit. Nothing. So – and I say that speaks to how much black wealth. There was around the country and around these Oklahoma towns Mm -hmm. because they sent money into Greenwood and said, you guys, don't give up your land. Don't give – rebuild it. And within – so 19 – again, accuracy and records – 1926, Greenwood was rebuilt to the point where they could actually host the Negro – Chamber of Com- the National Negro Chamber of Commerce meeting in Greenwood, mm. and, I, and to give people perspective, I say now think about this: How can you host a national meeting unless you have hotels mm-hmm. (plural), mm-hmm. unless you have restaurants, and you have places for people to go and things to do? So, within five years, eighty to ninety percent of Greenwood was rebuilt. And when people just sit there and just like, my gosh, we couldn't do that right now. Yeah. Just what they were able to do and how quickly they were able to say, you know, we shall not be moved. Those that remain, we rebuilt it. And they built it back bigger better. Bigger and better. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: and um, I was able to catch uh, the end of Greenwood, you know, in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, the end of it you know, before urban removals start yeah. coming in and. Yeah and we would go to the Rex Theater and King Park and yes, swim and things like that brickyard and all of that off in there but um um what do you think happened because do you think we just sold our land that we had and we just gave it up to uh I I'm, I'm just going to say white mm-hmm. society we gave it up sold it to
7: white people so there is a, that's an excellent question there there are a number of factors um one of them is unfortunately yes. There is a lot of city data records that indicate that um, lots and pieces of land were sold, um, and they were sold to the Tulsa Development Authority. You know th- mm-hmm. that's who still owns a vast majority of the exactly. land. Exactly. And 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 I don't really fault them at that time too much because they they weren't aware what they were giving up um, and what they were selling. When people go through hard times financially. They're you know, gonna go you, for you, it. You, you know, you're like, you know, hey, I'm holding to this land. Everything around me is declining. The property values are declining.
2: So I'm a um,
7: And a lot of these families, you know, the you know, you had the urban re- removal, uh, but you know, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, when there was this big push for uh, families to tell their children go to college go be successful. Don't live this hard life that I've lived in Oklahoma. Go be somebody. Be the, the family's first black doctor. Be the first lawyer. Be the, be successful. And they did that by the thousands. They left Oklahoma. They got an excellent degree, found a career, but they never came back home. Career, so yeah. to, to come back home and take over their parents. So mm-hmm. a lot of times when these mom and pops in the 70s and 80s died out,
0: mm-hmm. many of
7: them their business has died out with them, and then when you get a notification mm-hmm. and you're living in Chicago, bl- it became blight property. Right? Blight property. And when mm-hmm. you get a notice from, from from Tulsa saying, you know, you have this property is in this was in your parents' name and it's passed down to you. What do you want to do with it? Like, there's nothing for Tulsa for me to come back to. So I mean, I'll just life, I'll, I'll just sell it. it. I'll just sell it. And mm-hmm. so that's when a lot of land were just was just. Sold, and then you have urban renewal where land was just taken through eminent domain. Mm -hmm. It's a number of factors, Um, and that's you know you you probably remember. And I wasn't here at that time, so all I have is images, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure remember you know when Greenwood in the in the mid 80s, you know those chamber buildings that are there now, Mm -hmm. a lot of them were vacant. Were, were there wasn't anybody there. Weeds growing mm-hmm. in them. It was just. It was a. The whole area was kind of blighted. It where, was it, where people had walked away from. You know, there's nothing here anymore. And mm-hmm. so that's the sad part. And again, I don't point to them and say, "Look what you did. Look what you let go." Yeah,
2: I don't. I know. don't do that either. But yeah. at the same time, I realize that big uh, gentrification type yep. places like mm-hmm. OSU mm-hmm. and all of that down off mm-hmm. in there and other other. Uh, businesses and things, and they ran that freeway through it. Yeah. You know, and I think it was by design to erase Without a, a lot of the, a lot of the
7: history. Without a doubt.
1: You
2: know, because when people Without come down on Greenwood from out of town, mm-hmm. and they're coming to see Greenwood, they see this little bitty small mm-hmm. section of buildings, mm-hmm. and they're expecting to see all of this big old right. you know buildings going because Greenwood at one time went all the way from Arch all the way down to Pine
7: Street. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah,
2: that's what I remember. Yes, sir. All in mm-hmm. businesses, all along that way, mm-hmm. and so when they come, I was meeting with some people yesterday. I'm not going to call who I was with, but they were saying we expected yes. to see way more than what this little bitty area right there. Yes. How you feel about that, man?
7: The the there there's a sadness of what it had been reduced to, um, but the 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 uh, awareness. … of what it was, and what I try to tell people was, what was can be again, mm-hmm. uh, when people see how wide <laughs> and how, how large the territory of Greenwood was, ten to 12,000 African Americans living here, and that um, even with the urban renewal, and I want to touch on that, urban renewal, as African Americans call it, urban removal… It didn't just happen, of course, in Tulsa. I'm from, originally from, from Ohio, and I yeah. lived in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, I, you went can, school, I went to school there. So you can but see there's yeah. Highway 70. Mm-hmm. If there's a portion where it comes up through, uh, and, and there's an area in Columbus called Bexley where the wealthy live. And you can see that the highway takes this big turn around that area, uh, and it's like a big half circle. Um, If you go to Detroit, the same thing. If you go to uh, Baltimore, what I'm getting at is that the urban removal programs of the 60s and 70s, urban renewal, they always – this highway investment program, uh, and I use this with young students in in elementary, middle school. I tell them that's the importance of having diverse voices sitting at the table when these communities in the 60s. And these highway programs came through, and your city government was at that time pretty much all white men, and they say, we're bringing a highway through, the highway, the national highway bill. Where do you want this highway to go through? They were able to say, it's not coming through my neighborhood. It's not going to come – Send it over over to the black community. There was nobody at the table that looked like you, that looked like me, to stand up for their constituents and say, you will not bring this highway through here. No, you're not going to do that. mm -hmm. No resistance. And so they always, and all over the country, these highways always went through communities of color Mm -hmm. because they did not value them as important. And they saw them as a nuisance and a way to, you know what? We can clear out some of these areas, send mm-hmm. the highway through there. And that
8: They don't have to drive through to that, Greenwood.
7: Yeah. that Yes, that mm-hmm. happened to Greenwood and many places all over the country. It yeah. was a very systematic mm-hmm. – uh, when people say systemic racism, that was a very systematic approach to destroying many communities of color in the 60s and yeah. 70s.
2: Even uh, Pastor Turner down at the uh, Historical Vernon AME Church says that time doing a service, oh, he can hear yeah. the freeway they can hear the freeway coming through all the time
7: the, the windows, the windows
2: shake. are shaking. Yes, it's a disturbance, Yes, sir. you know? And, um, I just think we would, we'll kind of done a bad job, not you a, know, uh, OSU came down there and built all of that building and stuff like that. The driller stadium came down there and they just basically erased the history, man, yeah. you know, well, the, the,
7: erased it. And, and here's where, let's get back to the, you know, the point of accuracy. Um, and there is there is obvious portions of gentrification that takes place, and then – and gentrification truly is when if you own a piece of property, it's blighted or it's gone down, and if I'm a white person and I want to take advantage of – offer you this money. Your and, white privilege. <laughs> and my white privilege. I offer you this money. You take it, and then – I take that building and raise the rent Mm -hmm. so that I get people out, and then next thing you know, I spend a couple hundred thousand dollars, and then in five years or three years, what I spent, now I'm making millions off of it. Mm -hmm. That's truly a a process of gentrification. Mm -hmm. Understand that because of the releasing of property, because of blighted property we're taken over from taxes and everything, the the area of Greenwood that we're really talking about, it primarily… Uh, was owned by or, – or those those lots were bought by what we call now the Tulsa Development Authority, TDA. Mm-hmm. So what I'm getting at is the, the areas of Greenwood that we're talking about haven't been in black-owned hands for almost over 30 years. Okay, So the development that we've seen in the last 10 years were not the city or white individuals coming in and buying from black individuals and raising the rent. It was developers coming and buying from the city of Tulsa Yeah. because they were no longer in black-owned hands. So that's technically that's not gentrification. Um, what is sad is, for example, where the Driller Stadium is. We know that that was a land swap agreement between the Greenwood Chamber at the time Okay. and, here the, we le- go. and the leadership of Greenwood Chamber at that time. You know, they negotiated with the city, they negotiated with the, 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 the different ones who wanted to bring that development, and it was a land swap. So, where the Driller Stadium is, and this everybody can check the records and they can verify my, what I'm saying as fact. Um, that property was owned by the Greenwood Development Corporation at that time, Greenwood under the Greenwood Chamber. Um, they did a deal to release that land and do a land swap, and the land that's just South of, uh, of, of Greenwood Chamber, um, they received that land and they were also able to get uh, legal options that if it was ever released or ever to be sold, they can get the money off of that. Um, the, the, but, but,
2: but backing up, you know, I don't think it was a good deal. N- I personally don't think it was a good deal to have a land swap with uh, One Oak Field and all of that. No. Um, It was ours.
7: I think many in the community will look at that now and say that that I don't think there's there's too many that would look at it positively. We'll put it like that. Yeah, I mean,
2: I'm almost sure. I have a radio station here, and whenever it comes up, it's like we sold
3: out. It's a touch. It's a touch. It's a touch up. Well,
2: it's like I mean, I'm just being honest about it. Everybody, we sold that. Mm -hmm. We sold out that Mm -hmm. land, and the chamber should have never uh, negotiated Mm -hmm. anything like that. We should have kept it you know and uh, now when you go down there i mean that's the big hub yeah. of greenwood down there what yeah. you see is that stadium mm-hmm. and um
7: it's brought it's brought a lot of economic, economic development for around but you know you you you, you do a, have to is wonder a,
2: is the economic mm-hmm. development helping us yeah. see that's the mm-hmm. that's the key is it going back into the black community right. by them being there? I don't really think so. Yes. You know, I um, I know when I go down there and at Driller Stadium and I'm going down Greenwood, mm-hmm. they've got a baseball game going on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's predominantly white people coming down there uh, eating popcorn and hot dogs and watching a game and paying, you know, and I don't see them taking some of that money mm-hmm. and putting it back on Greenwood. Mm-hmm. And when I see... Uh, uh white businesses come down on Greenwood and make more money than a lot of the patrons and people who are have businesses. I say, Wow, man, what is going on? There's a hamburger place down there. And I'm to call it? a name. <laughs> I know you're talking
3: but, uh, about <laughs> they make all
2: when it comes to the you know, they make more than probably Wanda Jays yeah. make you know, and...
7: Um, well, there was, so so there was, I, I want to do give give equal balance to, to, to both sides of the equation. Um, it's unfortunate, yes, we can, I can sit here, and I'll say from my oh, I wish we could have had a little more legal counsel and say, don't give up the land, but maybe do a 99-year lease or do something where you long-term maintain the ownership of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was, We don't there, own it now. Yeah, they don't own it now. Yeah. If, there, if there was some way that we we can work a deal where you can build this stadium, but the ownership still comes under black-owned hands. That didn't happen, you know. That you know that's that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But for one of the did one of the deals that did come out of it is the stadium trust. You know there was an agreement that they put money aside, um, and they made a trust for investment of money for. Particular purposes in Greenwood. So, you know, one of the well,
2: where does that go?
7: So so one of the projects that they applied that money to um, is, you know, the, the, the what's being built is the path. One of the building projects is the pathway to hope. And that's going to be a, a narrative walking. It's In fact, it's under construction now. ODOT. Um, the Bernstein family donated one million dollars for that project mm-hmm. and the Oklahoma, the uh, Driller Stadium Trust donated $750,000 out for that pathway to hope pathway to hope for those that are not where uh, will walk it. it's a walking trail so it's uh, from Greenwood Avenue over to um, Elgin Avenue and it's uh, it will be a beautifully landscaped piece of, of, of a walking area that have trees shade trees that have benches it's going to feature black Art from mm-hmm. from black artists you know, locally. You know, you know. It'll be, it'll showcase pioneers. Mm-hmm. It will allow people to have a reflection space for what used to be here, mm-hmm. and it's sent to it's meant to be a symbol of rejoining the district that was divided and destroyed by the building of I two forty four. Now, um some, well, I mean, some people that, some, sounds, yeah, that sounds that sounds good. That sounds, some, sounds okay. some people might say, oh, yeah. that it that should be used for some other things. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I, I don't
2: necessarily. You know, put that and out. I really. I really believe, if you believe in what you say you're doing, I mean, if you believe in Black Wall Street, mm-hmm. you'll invest in some economic development. Oh,
7: yes, definitely. <coughs>
2: Excuse me. You'll you'll invest in some economic... I mean, hey, go down there and, hey, get with some Black people and mm-hmm. say, hey, man, here, you know, you guys go ahead and build up this and build up that. Mm-hmm. Give it back. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. got millions and thousands of dollars mm-hmm. to do things with. It's so often that in our communities, the system systematically, the system, they do what they want to do in our communities. Uh, if they want to open up a bike trail, they want to stripe the streets, you know, you know, with bike trails or whatever they want. They want to close our parks, shut down our swimming pools in our communities, and they do it without a fight. And I think because there's not a lot of fight in the game is because of the fact that, We've been so traumatized here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and
0: we behind
2: divided. Uh, and divided. Yeah. You know, uh, politically divided. All kind of division taking place. All these cliques and groups yes, of sir. people, and we haven't been able right. to come together like uh, my dad and him did mm-hmm. back in the day.
7: Exactly. Yeah.
2: And uh, until we get back to that, yeah. to bring about some healing Mm -hmm. in our community and Mm -hmm. stop stabbing each other in the back and well, he doing this, he doing that. I can't get this, but he'll give that to so-and-so,
7: you know, you know, one of the things that I dream about is Mm -hmm. the day that black community, because this is not just something that's to Tulsa. You go to any, I've 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 been on the phone with the, the, uh, the black chamber, historic black chamber of commerce in Houston, Mm -hmm. the historic black chamber of commerce in Dallas they, and we'll have the same conversation. man, if we can just keep from having so much infighting mm-hmm. in the black community and and the the uh, let me get back to it. my dream is that one day we as a community can solve our differences behind closed doors. We have these public, very public disagreements that get on the news, that get in the well, papers, and just continually shows that the black community is just divided. divided. you know
8: and
2: see, we're so quick as African-American black people to run to white media. (laughs) Hey, we'll run to white media before we come to our own media sources. The little guys, you know what I mean? We'll run over there and get all up in the cameras and talk and talk and talk. And then us little guys like KBOB 89.9, Black Wall Street Time, Greenwood Greenwood Tribune, Oklahoma Oklahoma Eagle, Eagle. Mm -hmm. Tulsa Star, Mm -hmm. we don't get all that from our own people. And my belief is, Come to your own first. Mm-hmm. Tell the story and then go to all of those mm-hmm. big media sources mm-hmm. because they're going to chop up the story mm-hmm. and they're going to tell it their way. But over here, we tell it our way.
0: Tell us the
2: truth. We don't, we don't have no filter. Yes, sir. And we just say, we. you know, we tell our stories our way over here. Yes, and that's why we need the investment, yes, sir. you know, to bring it to another level so you can look at us and say, well, look here, I'm going to go over there where Bobby and Nehemiah and mm-hmm. and Kevin Ross and them are. You know, and we're going to feed that, you know, and so we don't we've talked about that black media. We've all had discussions about it and we say, oh, man, this just bad for us, you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we try to get the kibbles and bits that we can get. <laughs> I like that, you know, you. kibbles and bits that we can get. Yeah. But Black Wall Street,
7: May 31st, right? Yes, sir. That's going to be the official day to kick off, right? Yeah. So the uh, the hundredth anniversary on Memorial Day uh, mm-hmm. will be the commemorative uh, the big commemorative event that mm-hmm. um, uh, is being planned and and the the wonderful thing is that the weeks leading up to the week of the week after uh, there are, there's are so many organizations that, that are planning things. It's not just the Centennial Commission
0: mm-hmm.
7: um, that are that are planning events, but you know you've got uh, um, Dr. Tiffany Crutcher and the Terrence mm-hmm. Crutcher Foundation. Speaking of
2: Tiffany Crutcher, uh, my condolences yeah, to her. She exactly. just lost her, her mother. mother.
7: Yes. You know, yes. and. praying was, for her and yeah. her father and mm-hmm. the, that her whole family. The entire family. They've been through a family. lot. They have. They, they really have. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I got okay. a text on that the other, mm-hmm. the other night and yeah. my, my head yeah. just dropped and I just said a little prayer for them. Mm-hmm. So they really Tiffany Crutcher and family. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Tulsa Remembrance Project that, she, that her and her organization is leading up, Greenwood Cultural Center, um, the the John Hope Franklin Center and their annual symposium. I know Reverend Turner and A.M.E. Uh, Vernon are, are are planning things. So everyone is planning some type of way of commemorating, which mm-hmm. is because thousands of people. Are, I, I've been saying over and over, COVID are not here. They come. They we're, coming. We're, we're preparing yeah. to be safe and mm-hmm. to have the things that we need to to be safe. Yeah, they're but coming. People are making a pilgrimage to be here for the, the for the commemoration and then two weeks after that we're gonna have Juneteenth again. Oh wow so, it's you gonna know, be you know what like, they just need to be here from May to June <laughs> I, is gonna I, be in Tulsa it. Oklahoma. I said I've been telling
2: people all eyes are gonna be on Tulsa oh, the world right. is going to be focused on Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. All media sources, people from all around cameras, you name it, lights camera action. <laughs> here we go, you know. And Yes. I I'm always encouraging mm-hmm. the parents who have children, yes sir. to tell the stories to their children mm-hmm. while we're down here mm-hmm. uh you know for the centennial. And mm-hmm. you know, we're not coming down there just to party and have a, a, exactly. a, a, a some fun time. Exactly. You know, we're coming down there to get mm-hmm. education, mm-hmm. do some history, mm-hmm. uh meet some important people who can tell us some stories mm-hmm. and uplift our educational process. About this history that had been hidden for so, so many, many years. years, yes, sir, you yes, know, sir. been hidden for so yeah. many years, mm-hmm. I didn't know about the massacre mm-hmm. until I got grown, yeah. basically, yeah. we didn't a lot of us' because the elders didn't talk about it mm-hmm. because they didn't want it to reoccur,,
8: mm-hmm.
2: you know they you know they were traumatized, they traumatized, right. you know, right. so um that situation is something that um. We got to remember. Yeah.
7: You know, a you lot know. of people uh, will ask me, you know, what what brought me to Oklahoma and, and, and like my background and mm-hmm. and um, you know, they'll wonder, you know, what what got you in this history. So um, I'm a let's see, I've been living here in Tulsa now. Tw- this will be my 20 October of this year, my 24th year. You've been here for a uh, minute. 24 years. You're Tulsa man. From Los- I know. I, I finally accepted <laughs> yeah, the Tulsa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, awesome. and 22 of those 24 years, I've lived right here uh, in North Tulsa. Uh, but the first, and this is the, the shocking part of it, is the first time I heard about this. Um, I attended uh, HBCU Central State University in Wilberforce, Ohio. You know, I went and there too. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, we sir. Central State Maroons. Yes, sir. Yes, Central yes, State Marauden. Maroon and Gold. Yeah, Maroon and, and uh, Gold. And you know, at one time, in fact, uh, you know, Central State was birthed out of Wilberforce University. Yeah, next door. And Wilberforce was the first African American. <laughs> college or hbcu if you in will. nation in the nation right mm-hmm. there in wilberforce ohio i think it was mm-hmm. 1855 yeah so the first of to, to, to that and then central state was born out of that but i was a sophomore in 1991 at central state and our college professor spent an entire semester talking about greenwood talking about the historic black towns of oklahoma wow talking about wow. the 1921 race riot, as they call it back then, mm-hmm. and showed us documentaries, showed us pictures, film, an entire semester. I'm a I'm a 20, 21-year-old sophomore, and so when I they moved – They were teaching that history, te- huh? at But I was at HBCU. They weren't I'm teaching it here in Oklahoma. Exactly, and that's my point. So that's 1991. I moved to Oklahoma until 1997, and it was shocking that really the only – Thing major that would take place was uh, you know a four day music festival called Juneteenth, Mm -hmm. and I used to look around like man y'all don't know y'all's history like like why do I know more about this Mm -hmm. than y'all? And you live here, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes sir. Mm -hmm. So it's it's amazing to see that. You know what? What I've been blessed to do now, and you know, even the nonprofit organizations that I've worked for. I mean, I've uh, sat on the board. You know, sat on the board of Greenwood Cultural Center, and it was it was was to to learn that history, and then to move here and actually be a part, an active participant in. preserving that history and being in the community and being active, engaged. And, you know, I know I'm here for such a time as this, and, I, you know, I, I don't take it for granted at all. Yeah. Well, I'm glad
2: you've uh, invested your time for the research and the knowledge. And, you know, I I understand a lot of people come here from out of town who yes. weren't born and raised here, but they have a passion for yes. their people yes, and they invest their time. I meet them all the time. Yes, you know, sir. I could name mm-hmm. a ton of people who are not from here, but they have that passion
1: mm-hmm. and
2: uh, for the excellent, for the history, for everything, you know, and you're one of those kind of people, but like I said, you're you a tosser now, but uh, <laughs> but uh, um, having that education and, you know, when I was at Central State, they didn't teach that, mm-hmm. that black mm-hmm. like, history, mm-hmm. you know, you, mm-hmm. didn't, you didn't get that yeah. back in the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, now it's being taught in mm-hmm. different educational institutions yes, you know around the country yes, now. Sir. You know, and people it's kinda of like a a a a, a pimple just all of a sudden came to a head <laughs> and, now, and now that pimple has burst. You know what I mean? So it's like it's like that, man. You know, because it was that pimple's uh, on you for a while, yes. but all of a sudden it comes to a head and it, it burst
7: and it's covered up. It's until, covered up until you can't until it explodes. It
2: explodes. Yeah, you know, and it, yeah, it hasn't yeah. exploded. Yes it has. So now has. that that uh yeah. People are saying, wow, what? Mm-hmm. What took place? Mm-hmm. Ooh, they killed all these people yeah. and burnt down mm-hmm. this this uh, a community? Mm-hmm. They're, so they're talking about mm-hmm. that right now. That's a big mm-hmm. discussion. You know what I see? I see a lot of things going in America. We got a long ways to go yes, sir. between racial divide. Mm-hmm. But I see a lot of younger whites, mm-hmm. millennials mm-hmm. and younger whites, don't always agree with what their grandfathers and grandma's and the Jim Crow era of their families are. They're kind of against that because of the fact that some of those uh, young people go to school mm-hmm. with blacks, mm-hmm. you know, Now racism's racism still alive. Right. Don't get me wrong, but they go right. some of their friends and buddies at high school and junior high are black mm-hmm. students mm-hmm. and they don't see. The racism is hard. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some of them still racist now because right. there's a systematic racism mm-hmm. still there. But I can see – speaking of like Black Lives Matter. Yes, sir. There was a time when the movement and civil rights were taking place. They wouldn't have as many whites in the kingdom was marching. They had some whites, mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders and them mm-hmm. and Bob. But now, like Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. it's just as many whites. Moving in Black Lives Matter is it is blacks mm-hmm. representing that, you know, because uh, black lives do matter, mm-hmm. you know, and sure. uh, we uh, have to get to a place to where we understand and connect, mm-hmm. you know, we're we're seeing a, a changing of the guards these days. definitely I mean, you know, you had a black president, mm-hmm. now you got uh, a black female mm-hmm. vice president, mm-hmm. and you're seeing more women getting involved and a women's movement moving up you know they're taking on jobs that men once did mm-hmm. and so a lot of the gray-haired uh white men yeah. are dying off mm-hmm. and you know it's not you know being controlled just as strong as that but we got a lot of issues yeah. in our country yeah. racism is still alive mm-hmm. and kicking mm-hmm. and i'm always telling people that black people can't be racist mm-hmm. you know and i say that because in order to be racist yes, you have to have power yeah. over another race right you know what i mean a lot of us don't the true understand true
7: definition of true of, definition of, of, of
2: racism, of racism. Yep. now you can be prejudiced
7: mm-hmm. you know But what you mean? can't act on it you can't act on it. racism allows you to say i'm in a position to believe a certain way right and and have that's the power and and resources to act on to it. act on it that's so. true racism that's true
2: yep. racism mm-hmm. especially in a a situation like America, United Mm -hmm. States of America, we're only like 13% of the whole country. You know, Mm -hmm. man, that's a small percent. You know, Hispanics have Mm -hmm. surpassed us to 17% now. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have to unite, Mm -hmm. get together, educate ourselves, Mm -hmm. get off of the systematic control things Mm -hmm. that's implemented in our communities, Mm -hmm. such as drugs and alcohol Mm -hmm. and things. Black people don't manufacture none of that. We don't have no boats. We ain't got no planes. We don't have none of that stuff to implement Correct. that stuff into our community. So it's not coming from us. It's coming from other people who mm-hmm. spread that poison in our community. And uh, we got to get to it. Now, there are black millionaires around this country. Yes, the thing that gets me, you got all these athletes who are millionaires and all these entertainers who are millionaires. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't understand why for the life of me. Some of them can't unite. Can you imagine like North Tulsa? They say it's about 33,000 people over here. Mm -hmm. If a few entertainers got together and say, hey, we're going to invest in the economics in North Tulsa. Mm -hmm. We're going to build some apartment complexes where they can have some hotels, Mm -hmm. uh, some blah, 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 Mm -hmm. some cleaners. Mm -hmm. And we're going to put up, we're going to take a few of our millions, Mm -hmm. you know, and invest. Where When are we going to be able to unite to see these visions rather than sit in our big old houses, you know, those who have that money and that power with our five-car garages and our, our 10 cars and yeah. swimming pools and stuff, and be so selfish? Because you came from Vernon Manor or our, our Comanche, mm-hmm. but you never come back yeah. to help to do anything.
7: Christine, you, you really touch on a really... Um emotionally charging topic is when black citizens and, you know, for example, some of the, one of the big names, you know, you look at someone like a, an Oprah Winfrey or someone who's real, or a Tyler Perry who's really done well. And, and the thing is they do, if you do the research, they have extended, you know, multiple millions of dollars to, you know, for projects and different people. Mm-hmm. Um, but this ties into, you know, some of the divisions in our own black community. Sometimes um, you are – you get more resistance uh, from the community you're really trying to help to the extent that it frustrates you that I'm I'm just trying to do this. Will you work with me? Mm-hmm. And because of what we just were talking about a few moments ago, the divisions, well, you're not spending the money the way I want you to spend it. Well, you should do it over here. Well, you should do it over here. No, we should get it first. No, they should get it first. No, that – and the person that's just sitting back, I just wanted to help. And now they're in a firestorm of just mass confusion. Now they're the enemy because they're not spending and they were just like, you know what? I'll just take my money somewhere else. Yeah, Let me, me wait until you guys get your stuff yeah, together. Because right. I don't have time for this. Mm-hmm. I don't have time for the headache of this. Mm-hmm. That's where, you know, we we as a community, as African Americans, we're going to have to get to a point where we're more professional where we're more strategic, where we're more business-minded, and understand that these people don't have to spend a dime anywhere. They can choose to, mm-hmm. but when they choose to spend their money in significant ways, they want to see it done and, and be accountable for. They want to see it managed and excellently done. Exactly. They want to they see excellent plans.
0: Mm-hmm. They
7: don't have time for a lot of the – and, and I'm exper- I've experienced this mm-hmm. in the – just the outright Positions that, that some in our own community love them, but some in our own community will just emme- immediately attack any idea you have, but don't bring any money to the table. That's true. And and the ones that, mm. and, and not always, not always, mm-hmm. but sometimes, again, not There's just a lot I'm, of them. I'm, I'm, feel not, that I'm way. not talking about here, yeah. I'm talking about across, across the country. Country, period. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that will come from our community and have the most severe criticism. Will never put up a dollar or like a dime anything. or an in invest in anything, mm-hmm. but they will shoot down anything you even try try to, to do. do. So um, it's difficult, but yeah. you know I learned from, um, you know I got this. It's not just my own perspective, but but uh, Darren Walker, African American that leads the Ford Foundation, a black man in New York. That has, uh, in fact, Forbes wrote a magazine on, article on him last fall. That okay. Said the man with the $14 billion check. All right. He is in charge of the Ford Foundation. And he said, when we went to visit him and telling him, you know, what we're doing, and he said, he, he, you know, he said, I know what you guys are doing. I love what you're doing. Great. Keep moving forward. And he closed. He said, Now, let's talk real talk. He said, What kind of resistance are you getting? And we kind of looked at each other. And was like He said, Yeah, I know you're getting it. He said, I, I know you're getting it. And, you, and he said, The people that you're trying to help the most will lash against you the most, and Mm -hmm. he said, learn from me, a black man running the Ford Foundation that spent millions of dollars to bring a Whole Foods to the middle of Harlem, a food desert. And he said from the day that we started buying land and started building it and even spent so much money to underwrite some of the expenses Mm -hmm. so that the cost of the food Whole Foods would be affordable prices for that community, underwriting the cost of some of the goods. He said all the way to the day that we opened up, there was a section of the community that just marched and had signs, and we don't like protesting. We don't like what you're doing. And he said, and I'm a black man. Mm Mm-hmm. Trying to bring, bring food economic, to development. economic development to the Harlem, mm-hmm. you know? And he said, but he said, from the day we opened, he said, some of the same people that hated what we were doing. We're pushing us out of the way to get in the pictures to say, oh, look how wonderful this! We got uh-huh. all." So he, his inspiration was just keep going. Yeah. He said, "When you know yeah. what you're doing is right." Yeah. He said, "Not everybody's going to agree with how They're you not... get there." He said, "But when you know in your heart you are doing something that will have economic you're... benefit for years to come, mm-hmm. keep moving forward mm-hmm. because you've got to get." That is that.
2: that is a good analogy, you know, because I ran into a situation. I was up to Quick Trip, and I said, uh, "We have economic." Uh, development taking place with our new grocery store. Yes, And you yes, know sir. what a couple of guys told me? Hey, man, it's too small.
0: <laughs>
2: it's too, man, it's too small, man. That little bitty grocery store. And I said, I said, they, they were you know, talking oh, smack against yeah. the grocery store yes, itself. Sir. And I said mm-hmm. to myself, hey, man, we got a grocery store. store. Come on, man. You, you know, you're going to be able to buy some fresh vegetables yes. and things of like that. I say, think, yeah. man. Yeah. Think. I'll say, hey, yeah. we didn't have yeah. it before, right. but we got it coming now.
7: And find something to pick apart. My yeah. grandfather, you know, mm-hmm. bless him, so he, he was born and raised in, in Hazelhurst, Mississippi, and he would talk about, my, I, he said, I love my black people, but he said, boy, black people get on your nerves. And he, he would say, Yeah, they he, do. He would say, uh, There are some people in our community. That will protest a protest that's already been protested. Oh man, <laughs> all the time. You and know. and you, you just have to take that because uh, you know Vanessa Hall Harper led that initiative. I know she worked exactly. for years. And uh, and and I remember watching the the, the groundbreaking ceremony. Uh, on, on Facebook, and, and she got emotional uh. because of how hard the fight was just to get to the point where, hey, we're open <laughs> the grocery store, and we're finally here. But that fight, people just don't realize behind the scenes all that you have to go through with our own community… To make something happen that wasn't there before, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and then, like you say, and now it's being built, and
1: uh, it's
7: too small. It's Like, oh my goodness! Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to, you have to just keep your head down and keep building the ark, just like Noah kept building the ark. And you got to keep going. You got to keep on going, if you, don't if you, you? Stop to That's explain right. why you building the ark to everybody who questions. You'll never get it built in time. Yeah, so keep building. Keep your head. Down
2: you have to keep the rains
3: coming. Right, you do. <laughs>
2: You do. You have to do that. Yes, sir. Yeah, right, man. Well, you know, it's uh, an ongoing situation in our community, and uh, we got to hurry up and uh, get some things going right there. Yes, sir. Well, we need you to dial the number, eight, uh, 918-856-3873. Uh, Phil Armstrong is in the house, and uh, we're we're chopping it up. If you want to get on the air, that's 918-856-3873. We're going to take a little break, and we're going to come right back. All right, Phil? All right. Okay. You're on The Bobby Eaton Show, where we tell our stories our way.
3: P&J Publishing Incorporated announces a new book release, The Entrepreneurial Woman. The World is Your Playground by Angela K. Chambers, M.E.S., available right now for pre-order at payhip.com slash b slash n b capital a capital c the book release is set to hit june 1st 2020 if you're ready to publish your book visit us online at www.pnjpublishing.com unleash that book that's inside of you with PNJ Publishing Everybody's
0: talking about the you and you're together
4: North Star Security and Private Investigation provides over 35 years of experience to ensure your security and investigation needs are met. Our officers are cleat and state certified. If you are seeking employment, stop by our website at www.northstarsecurityandpi.com.
0: For details
4: on quotes and employment opportunities, call today at 918-248-6592. That's 918-248-6592.
0: North Star
4: Security and Private Investigation.
3: If your credit starts with a 3, 4, 5, or 6, This is for you. Did you know that it's costing you to have bad credit? You can't get qualified for that house or apartment and you're paying high interest rates, along with paying high car insurance, and it may be costing you that job that you really want. What are you waiting on? Take more of a holistic approach. Pick up the phone and call the credit Shiro at 832-642-1554 or text CAMP to 76626. With 13 amazing services, we restore and repair generations to come. Once again, call the Credit Shiro at 832 642 1554 or text camp to 76626. If you know better, you do better. Only the Credit Shiro can help you to save the day.
2: All right, we're back on the Bobby Eaton Show and Phil Armstrong.
7: Yes, sir. I want
2: to thank you, man, for taking time out of your busy schedule to come in here, over here to our community radio station and sharing some of that information. How can someone get in touch with you to get the information that they need?
7: So the, uh, the best place for all information is the website, which is really just simply Tulsa2021.org. Tulsa2021.org. Um, we, we keep that updated on a weekly basis from all the events to what's being planned to the building of Greenwood Rising Museum to sign up for a newsletter and even to donate to some of the work that we're doing and the, the building project. So um, Tulsa21.org And I just want to say how awesome it is To be uh, interviewed To to have this moment with The Eaton family name and The direct <sighs> Black Wall Street legacy Is uh, with the Eaton family name And I'm just honored
2: Well thank you
7: Thank you Phil Armstrong you guys
2: Hey support, get behind and build Alright we're going to um, uh, Tune out for right now And we'll be uh, right back Stick around i got to pay some more bills, okay? That's about the size of it, all right?
5: Mm-hmm. Hello, Tulsa. This is Jeanetta Toll with Sunday dinner and more by Janet, your weekend soul spot. Every Saturday and Sunday from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. We're located 531 East Apache in the historic Apache Circle Center. Of course, during these times, it's carry-out only, but you can call 918-951-5143. That's Sunday Dinner and More by
0: Janice.
6: Hey, it's Denise with Addie Mays Food for the Soul, where we cater to vegan, Presbyterian, and everyday soul-tree soul we have meatloaf Mondays, taco Tuesday, chicken Wednesday, turkey and dressing Thursday, fish Fridays, barbecue Saturdays, and Sundays is our Soul Street Soul Food. We're located at 5266 North Peoria. You can contact us with calling orders at 918-845-2989, and we also deliver with DoorDash. Hope to see you soon. The is not